Now, with that being said, I'm going to read a sermon to you. Anyway, hopefully that was a little funny, but a little fun transition. Uh, one other way, of course, that we celebrate and one other way that we worship and pray is by observing the church year. Uh, in this last week, uh, as a matter of fact, yesterday, uh, was the feast of the holy name of Jesus. All right. It comes on the eighth day after, e after Easter, after Christmas, called the octave of Christmas. And that corresponds with the eight days after Jesus was born and when he was taken to be circumcised and given the name Jesus. And I think it's really useful for us today to reflect upon the holy name of Jesus. So that's what we're going to be doing this evening for the next little bit. So I want to invite you to turn in, in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. Joe read part of that for us already. And if you want to, you can also turn to Exodus chapter 6 and kind of bookmark that because Exodus chapter 6 is one place we'll spend a little bit of time as well. And if you just get completely bored with what I'm saying, just read anything at all that's in the Bible. You know, that's at least your time won't be wasted. This sounds kind of weird, but I think we sometimes forget that God has a name. Now, if some of you are going, God does have a name, it's Jesus, then you're way ahead of me, and please just let me work this out in my sermon, and we'll get to it at the end. Um, but we forget that God has a name, and we... We call God, God, G-O-D. Uh, we call him Lord. Uh, we call him Father. But if you think about it, these are all uh, descriptions or titles even. They're not really proper names in and, of them, in and of themselves. We've made them proper names, but in and of themselves, they're not proper names. Um, the word Father functions not really as a title. So when we pray the Lord the Lord's Prayer a minute ago, when we say our Father, we're not praying in the abstract. We're praying to a specific person that we call Father, um, Papa even, or, or Daddy, this sense of closeness, uh, this sense of attachment. But yet again, it is a title, not necessarily a proper name. I've, I've used this example many times, but I have one niece and five nephews. And, uh, and they will call me, most of them at one time or another, will call me Uncle Paul. Um, no one else calls me Uncle Paul because that would be weird. Uh, I would just not fit at all. Um, and that phrase is a title and it's a personal name. It's just about the only title I have in life, Uncle. Um, maybe not. But, uh, but Uncle Paul, it's a specific uh, name that's used by just six people on this planet. In Exodus, God's name is revealed. His personal name is revealed. And it's revealed as Lord God. And I don't have slides tonight, but I want you just to imagine Lord God, Lord in all caps, L-O-R-D, and then God, G-O-D, capital G, small O, small D. That's how, and, and you may notice that if you're following along in Exodus chapter 6, or if you see it in the Psalms, you'll frequently see this rendering for God's name in the Psalms. Uh, the personal part of that name is Lord, which doesn't seem personal to us. Lord, of course, seems like a title. But the personal part of that name, the word Lord, is actually the Hebrew word Yahweh, uh, Y-H-W-H. 
In most of our Bibles, it's rendered that way uh, as Lord in all capital letters. It's important to note that God reveals this personal name to his people Israel. Not to anyone else, but to his people Israel. And they're the only ones who get to call him Yahweh. It's like uncle, uncle Yahweh. That's not what we want to say, of course, but it is this personal name, this name really denoting a kind of intimacy between God and all of Israel. In Exodus chapter 6, verse 2, we see this. God replies to Moses, and Moses has just complained to God that God is not doing enough to deliver his people from the Pharaoh. And God comes back to Moses and promises to deliver them, and then he reveals his name to them. This is in verse 2. God also said to Moses, I am the Lord. Lower caps, or lowercase rather, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty, or El Shaddai. But I didn't reveal myself to them by my name, Yahweh, or the Lord in all caps. As you probably already know, after a time, the name Yahweh was considered so holy that it was no longer spoken out loud. Only once a year would the name be uttered, and that would be on the Day of Atonement, and only by the high priest. And then after the temple was destroyed in 70 AD, 40 years after Jesus was raised from the dead, after that time the name was not uttered by the high priest or anyone else. It's interesting because the Bible mentions the names of many other gods, small g-o-d-s, gods, names like Baal and Asherah and Ashtoreth and Hamash, But these names are largely lost to time, and you'll not find anyone worshiping these so-called deities anymore. But the God whose name was so holy that it couldn't be spoken still speaks to us today, and he's still worshiped today. Names matter. They matter because they contain, or they are even contained by, stories. Names matter because they contain stories or they're a part of these larger stories. And as we mentioned already, today we celebrate the holy name. And that holy name is Jesus, but we're going to get to that in a moment. So let me just pause for a moment and pray for us as we continue. Lord God, you have made the heavens and the earth and all that is in them. And into your creation... Your son, Jesus, has come to dwell among us. Teach us to revere his name and thus live close to him. In the holy name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. Now, I've mentioned already uh, that yesterday was the holy name, the commemoration of the holy name of Jesus. This is the second Sunday of, uh, of the Christmas season. It's day nine of Christmas, so it is uh, time for the dancing ladies, nine ladies dancing, I think, right? Um, which, if you've looked this up, it refers to the nine fruits of the Spirit. That's kind of the code language behind it. Now, I've used the word Christian year spirituality before, just recently, a few weeks ago, and it refers to us marking time by the Christian calendar and thus forming our lives around the life of Jesus. This week's gospel ends 
Uh, this week's gospel reading, I should say, ends with this phrase. Verse 21, when eight days had passed, Jesus' parents circumcised him and gave him the name Jesus. This was the name given to him by the angel before he was conceived. Now, I've already mentioned names matter. And where there is a name, there is a story. We've already talked about how the fact that Yahweh is God's name. No one really knows how to pronounce it anymore. Before Jesus was born, its pronunciation was, was really lost. But before Jesus was born, it was known that his name would be Jesus. But pay attention to this. Jesus' name, Jesus is the anglicized version that comes to us through the Latin and through the Greek. But Jesus' name would really have been Joshua or Yehoshua, which translated means Yahweh saves or Yah saves. So Jesus' name is kind of the second coming of Yahweh. The name of God was revealed to Moses and thus to the Israelites. And after being lost and in exile, the name of God reappears in this baby that's born in Bethlehem, the man called Jesus of Nazareth. His name means Yah saves, Yahweh saves. I want us to read a little bit more uh, of the gospel reading. So following on where, uh, where Joe left off, this I think is in verse 22 of Luke, Luke 2. When the time came for the ritual cleansing in accordance with the law of Moses, they brought Jesus up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. So there is an assigned time of a few weeks where mom and baby had to go back to the temple to represent themselves uh, after a time of purification because of the shedding of blood. And it says in verse 23, it's written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male will be dedicated to the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice in keeping with what's stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And that sacrifice there reminds us that these were poor people. They're not wealthy. They're not bringing a lamb or a goat or something greater. Moving on, verse 25. A man named Simeon was in Jerusalem. He was righteous and devout. He eagerly anticipated the restoration of Israel, and the Holy Spirit rested on him. The Holy Spirit revealed to him that he wouldn't die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Led by the Spirit, he went into the temple area. And by the way, just a little context here, he went into what's known as the Court of Women, because that's as far as Mary would have been able to go. He finds them there. Led by the Spirit, he went into the temple area. Meanwhile, Jesus' parents brought the child to the temple so that they could do what was customary under the law. Simeon took Jesus in his arms and praised God, and he said, Now, Master, let your servant go in peace according to your word, because my eyes have seen your salvation. You prepared this salvation in the presence of all peoples. It's a light for revelation to the Gentiles and a glory for the people Israel. It's interesting here, the Bible doesn't tell us that Simeon heard what Jesus' name was. Uh, but just like we do when we take a baby out of a mother's arms, we always ask what the name is after we ask for permission, which is the most important thing. Um, but undoubtedly, Simeon takes 
baby Jesus in his arms. Now, what follows is not in the Bible, but I think it happened. So if I'm totally wrong, you can just write it off. But, you know, in the resurrection, in the restoration of all things, you'll discover that I'm right. Um, I can imagine that when he takes this baby in his arms and he hears that his name is Jesus, Yah saves, that he says something like this. His name is Jesus. Of course, Yahweh saves. What else could this child's name be? What else would the Messiah's name be other than Yehoshua, Yeshua, Jesus, Yah saves? What else could this name be? I think for Simeon, it was revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that this was the salvation of Israel. And I think in the same moment, I think Simeon, as he hears his name, he's like, oh, yes, of course. Nothing makes more sense than his name being Jesus. And he says, now, Master, let your servant go in peace according to your word, because my eyes have seen your salvation. Names matter. Names matter across time. In Simeon's little exclamation there, there is a story in, in microcosm of Yahweh saving in the name of this child born at the bottom of the heap. Now, as you all probably know, in the Bible, all of the names mean something. They're not just designations like number one, two, three, ABC, right? Every name has a meaning behind it. Some of the names make immediate sense, others don't. Many names are forgotten to us, and some names in the Bible are forgotten on purpose. My favorite example of who gets named and who doesn't comes from the book of Exodus in a different part, chapter one of Exodus. The book of Exodus opens with this little line that you're probably familiar with, and it says something like this, and a Pharaoh arose in Egypt who knew not Joseph, who didn't know Joseph. That means that this Pharaoh shows up on the scene. He doesn't know anything about the arrangements that Joseph made with the former Pharaohs, former rulers um, of Egypt. And interestingly enough, we've got Joseph's name, and Joseph's long dead. He's not even in the story of Exodus. And we have Pharaoh's title, but that's all that Pharaoh gets in the entire book of Exodus. And right after this, we're introduced to two women, Shifra and Pua. These two were midwives who were helping the Israelite women deliver their babies. They're called before Pharaoh, this unnamed Pharaoh, and they're told by him to kill the babies if the babies are boys, but to let the girls live. And interestingly enough, there's kind of a Christmas echo in that story, right? This king is saying, kill all those boy children. Let's wipe these Israelites out. Shifra and Pua, however, lived in awe of God, it says. They, they lived in awe of God more than they were afraid of the Pharaoh. And they did not do what he told them to do. They came back to him when they were asked why all these boys are allowed to live. And they came up with this great lie. Maybe it's not a lie. I shouldn't assume it's a lie. But they said, 
The Hebrew women are vigorous and they have their babies before we get there. They don't really need our help. Um, and thus, because of their actions, Israel was saved. And the Bible tells us that Shifra and Pua, these two midwives, why on earth we know who they are is really the question. But God blessed them with households or families of their own. Now, some of you might be adventurous uh, and want to name uh, your daughters Shifra and Pua, uh, at least Shifra. Um, I don't recommend Pua, but, um, but we remember their names. What is it, 3,400 years after the fact, their names are still on our lips. You may have a hard time remembering their names, but you will always remember that the midwives had names in the Bible. And you'll remember who didn't. Names matter. Who gets a name and who doesn't get a name matters. And in this brief story, we see two roles. There's the Pharaoh and the midwives. It's a story of named midwives who are the nobodies. Bottom of the heap. But they have specific lives and specific names and specific stories. And then there's an unnamed Pharaoh. He's a godlike figure. What he says goes. But the Bible leaves the Pharaoh as kind of an abstraction. He's just a generalized bad figure. We don't hear about his story. We don't even get an opportunity to take compassion on the way he was raised or anything like that. The Pharaoh goes unnamed and he goes unnamed on purpose. And this brings us back to Jesus. He has a name and he has a story. And this Christian year spirituality that we participate in at Wheatland is a retelling of Jesus' story. And we kick it off by celebrating the holy name. We take a year, each and every year, and, and still a year is not enough to fully tell the story of Jesus. Like the midwives, Jesus is closer to the bottom of society than he is to the top. But again, 3,500 years after the fact, we remember their names. Now, I started off, and I've said it over and over, that names matter. Names matter because they are storied. There is a narrative that goes with those names. And just think for a moment about your own name. There's probably a story behind it. Now, it may not be a super meaningful story. Um, my name is Paul, of course. Um, my I was named Paul because my dad insisted that my brother and I have names that were only four letters long or shorter because the poor man couldn't spell. Uh, and if they were biblical names, that was good too. So that's the story behind my name. They just thought it was a good name and easy to spell. Now, believe it or not, Dad, later in life, did misspell my name. But that's, that's a whole other, whole other story. But names mean something because they're attached to stories behind them. I think of Harrison. Harrison's middle name is Lee. He's named for an uncle of mine that he never got to meet. But there's a whole life of story going on behind there. And we can all think of examples of this perhaps even in our own lives. God has a name, and that name is Jesus. That name is Yah saves, Yahweh saves. Properly speaking, I think we should probably say that God has a name, and God's name is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, we trace the story of the name throughout the centuries of the Old Testament 
and into the new. And we even read four different accounts of Jesus' life, fleshing out all that his name means. And when we read those four accounts, the four Gospels, we come away with a pretty clear picture of the kind of person we're dealing with. And I hope, not just tonight, but always, whenever you hear Jesus' name, that you will be immediately taken back to the story and all the various stories of Jesus. Of course, the name Jesus is also a, a curse word in our world. I hope instead of it taking you down that road, that it will take you into a recognition and a reminding, or remembering rather, of who he is. It's fair to say that Christianity has had some bad branding in recent years. We don't need to bother with the examples of things. But thoughtful people reject the Christian faith today. Unthoughtful people reject it too. Even some people who have been Christians or grown up as Christians reject it. And in its place, uh, and, and I've been in this boat as well, in its place we kind of grab for various kinds of spirituality to fill in those gaps. We live in a fascinating time, religiously speaking. For decades we've been encouraged, uh, not so much uh, uh, overtly, but we've been encouraged to kind of fashion a form of spirituality that fits our lives and our needs. And I think this is more prevalent than ever. And I think the temptation is more prevalent than ever. But my question for all of us is whenever we reach for this or that and grab it and make it a part of our lives, ask yourself if it has a story. Ask yourself what that story is. Ask yourself if that which you're reaching to fill your life with isn't just an unnamed Pharaoh, kind of an abstraction. Is it rich with history? And here's a good question, I think. Did anybody die for it? I don't know how many of you have, uh, if you've traveled in Europe or even to uh, older mainline churches uh, throughout our own country, Oftentimes, churches will have a red door. The main entrance, the door will be painted red. Do you know why it's painted red? It's painted red because it represents the blood of the martyrs. It's a reminder that this church exists, this specific, if it's a specific parish or in a specific location, that exists because people died to allow it to be there. Is our spirituality something that somebody died for? The unnamed Pharaoh killed a lot of people, but I don't know that there were a lot of people willing to die for him. But we look at Shifra and Pua, and the way Exodus explains it to us, they were willing to die. They lived in awe of God. They feared God more than they feared Pharaoh. So I pray even for us as Christians, that God would save us from generic spiritualities. Instead, I pray that whatever, however our spirituality is being formed, that it will be very much formed around the person of Jesus. And not just Jesus in some abstract sense, 
Jesus as the symbol of goodness, kindness, and gentleness, and those kinds of things. But one of the reasons we have an image of Jesus here is not so that we know what he looked like. I don't think this would help us in identifying him in a lineup. But it's to remind us that Jesus was not an abstraction. Jesus was a human person. Jesus is a human person with a story, with a history. And it's a story that he's inviting us into. So if we're going to be Christians, it means that we're going to stay close to Jesus. And we do this by getting acquainted with him or reacquainted, as the case might be. And scripture, I think, is a really important place for us to start. Scripture forms our minds and our hearts in ways that we don't fully understand. But it shapes our minds and, they sh and it shapes our hearts through the stories of Jesus. So when you hear Jesus' name, let it remind you of his story. A story where he gave up everything that he had and everything that he was in order to accomplish this great act of reconciliation, of bringing us back into relationship with him. When you hear his name, I want you to be reminded of his story, a story where he emerged from the bottom rung of life, not to scale the heights and to slay all of the Goliaths, but to walk alongside those who are on rungs lower than he was. When you hear his name, let it remind you of his story, which includes compassion for everyone, even those who denied him, those who rejected him, and those who walked away from him. When you hear his name, let it remind you of a story and how you've been invited into and folded into the story of God. How you have been given a home in the life of Jesus, given life because of his story. Likewise, when you hear about kindness in the world, I hope you don't think of the Dalai Lama first and nothing against the Dalai Lama. I think he's great. He's probably a very kind person. But I want you to think of Jesus, who embodied forgiveness, kindness, and gentleness. You can think of all the stories, him talking to a woman who was a prostitute, or keeping a prostitute or an accused prostitute from being killed, or healing the daughter of a woman who was a complete outsider and had no right to ask Jesus for anything. I, th I hope that when you hear stories of generosity, that you don't think of Bill Gates and Warren Buffett, but that you think of Jesus and his great generosity. These people give from their wealth. Jesus gave when he had already given up everything that he had. When you hear stories about acceptance, again, I hope you remember the stories of Jesus, who accepted a dirty tax cheat named Matthew and a conspiracy theory embracing revolutionary named Simon and a greedy guy who betrayed him named Judas, and another one who betrayed him named Peter. Not to mention all the others. When you hear stories of strength, I hope you're reminded of Jesus and reminded that gentleness and strength, kindness and strength, aren't opposites at all. And I hope that you're reminded that this is the one who regularly confronted demonic powers. And the one for whom the powers that be, the powers of the government, were always on his back all the time. And when you think about somebody who's brave, I hope you think about Jesus. 
Because there are stories of Jesus' bravery. He called Herod a fox, and that wasn't a compliment. (laughs) And he told Pilate to his face that Pilate would have no power over him if he had not been given to him by his father. The reality is is that the Christian name is tarnished, and maybe Jesus' name in some ways have been tarnished as well. But if we can remember what these names, the stories that fill up these names, if we can let these names remind us of how Christ lived and how he died, and of course how he returned to life in the power of the Spirit, then I think we're being formed and shaped in the right way. And my final prayer for us tonight is may we embrace, may what we embrace in this coming year, 2021, may what we embrace not be some unnamed Pharaoh, some abstraction, but may we embrace the one who's named and storied, the person of Jesus.